Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradzer with another episode of the Your Life, Your Term show. And on this one, we get a little crazy because this is the stuff we love talking about most, which might sound ridiculous, but it's around interest rates, some of the population growth going on in Canada, what's happening in the US and how that might affect interest rates here in Canada and how that ultimately affects property prices here in Canada and what's happening to the real estate market here in Canada. So we love diving into this kind of stuff. It's easy for us to talk about this stuff. We share some of the research that we've dug up over the last few months on this particular topic. So it's myself and Nick um, just kind of going through. We don't really have an agenda or a schedule. We have a few points to cover, but I, I really hope that you are also a monetary policy geek like we are and you enjoy this stuff. I think there'll be something in there for you if you are all interested in real estate in the Canadian real estate market. Let's leave it at that. And listen, if you are listening to this and you haven't checked out the Ontario's population stats yet, you absolutely need to. If you're a real estate investor in this particular area of the country, especially, you need to check out this stuff. We have this report called Ontario's Population Explosion, The Untold Story, How Ontario's Population Trends Are Creating Amazing Opportunities for Savvy Real Estate Investors. And we believe once you see some of this data, your jaw will hit the floor. Maybe it's actually not going to hit the floor, but you know what I mean? Like you're just going to be in such awe when you look at this report. So you can get a copy of this report at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. It's about, looks like it's about six pages long. We've jammed to all the stats that we could dig up with a whole bunch of beautiful charts, all in color, including some of Ontario's green belt maps and how that's growing over the last few years, just so you can see how the population component of the real estate game is um, unfolding here in Ontario. So you can check that out or get a copy of that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. And listen, as you get into this particular episode, if this is something that you like hearing about interest rates, property prices, talking about the economy here in Canada, feel free to give us feedback in any way, shape or form on some of the social media platforms that we're on. You can always send an email in to podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com and give us feedback on this stuff. It helps guide us on what topics you'd like covered on the episode episodes of this podcast, especially ones where Nick and I just kind of sit down, hit record and start going through some of this stuff. Um, with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Tom, can uh, you hear me? No, I'm supposed to say it. <laughs> Nick, I, I had can to you beat hear you me? to it. No, don't, you're going to ruin it. I let, well, now we have to start again. Nick, can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can hear you. I can't, I can't believe you still asked that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. Um, okay, let's get started into this thing. We have a lot to go over. This stuff, I can get way off track. And we have a new mic, so I kind of have to lean forward into this mic stand. So if you can't hear me, you legitimately now, if you can't hear me, <laughs> tell me if you can't hear me. Oh, man. So uh, anyway, do you have any um, opening remarks before I get started on an epic rant of inflation no, and interest rates? No. I mean, we're just in pure survival mode with everything going on. This is just a miracle that's happening. Yeah, just so everybody's so. aware, I guess we're in the middle of this build for this new office. And uh, we might have messed up our current lease, which means we might be 
leaving here a little sooner than we had planned and the other office might not be completely right. We actually don't know. We don't yeah. have any answer answers. We don't know when we're moving. I just thought it'd be funny if the whole team showed up at the Starbucks one day because we didn't have an office for a couple of weeks. And we just had to go to the Starbucks and see the reaction when like the whole team shows <laughs> We should up tell everyone listening to, to this what we, you know, about five years ago when, you know, when you deal with real estate, you always joke about like, well, I guess there could be a crash really at any time, even though no one really believes there could be. We're always very paranoid that there could be. It's kind of like we're, you know, short-term paranoid, long-term optimistic. But we've always had this joke that if anyone ever shows up to the Rockstar office and there's just big chains around the door, that means the real estate market's collapsed. There are people after us and we're all just meeting at the Starbucks bucks down the road <laughs> so so if you're listening to this and you ever come to the rockstar offices chains around the door doesn't mean we haven't like paid rent or you know whatever it means we have made a mad dash for the <laughs> or the exits i shouldn't laugh about this stuff i'm joking about this we take real estate very seriously we're here for the long haul it's just without joking about real estate in this manner it can drive you absolutely insane so uh with that uh we are just on survival mode and uh what the last few weeks we haven't done a lot of podcasts i think we'll get back into a regular groove of them now it's been totally nick's fault that we haven't done any podcasts usually is <laughs> and uh nick's you just finished blaming right before we started recording you just blamed what did you say to me it's your fault that we're spending money or something. no no i <laughs> said i said anything expensive that we got for the office is definitely your fault because we started we we just we did this little vote about the chandelier that we found and this chandelier I think it looks like a something out of Star Wars, like a Star Wars spacecraft or something. Someone else thought it looked like a shark. It's metal and lights. So I don't know how it looks like a shark. I, I, I agree though. It is the like it is the nicer one. I was just hoping that I was like let's send it to a couple of other people because I was hoping that it, it, out of the two options they were going to choose the cheaper one. Yeah. Out of out of this one. I'm so like, if you're listening to this and you come to our new office and if we greet you please make a big deal of the chandelier that you see in the boardroom so that we can feel like we haven't well, wasted let's get our it money. They, it might not even be available anymore. Who knows? With all the yeah. stuff we learned about lighting, who the yeah, heck knows? That, that, that might right. be a miracle if we get lights in this place. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics, uh, inflation. But the way I want to give some context around this is um, something that I always see in the papers are the destruction of the middle class or the middle class is disappearing or people can't make ends meet. And I just want to talk about this a little bit. Nick, I'll go on this little rant for a second before we talk about it. You're going to do whatever you want anyway, so. Okay, perfect. We're on the same page. <laughs> um, so here's what I want to talk about. Um, when, whenever Nick and I see stuff in the media where it says, you know, that people can't make ends meet, it's always frustrating to me because that seems like it's always talking about the symptom of what's going on in the world, in the, the money game and not the actual problem. And here's what I mean by that. If any one of us Googles up the bank of Canada's website, and if you go to the inflation control target page, which exists, it's like one of the primary pages on the Bank of Canada's website. So if you're in front of Google right now or for when you get home, if you're listening to this on the road or on your on your phone, if you Google up Bank of Canada inflation control target, you're gonna find this page that basically says that the Bank of Canada has an inflation target of between one and 3%, and ideally, they're hitting 2%. And they have this little definition that says, inflation is a persistent rise over time in the average price of goods and services or the cost of living. And when you put this into a calculator, if you just put like, let's say you take $100 and then you multiplied 100 times 1.02 and you hit the equal sign. And if you hit that equal sign 35 times, you're going to notice that the 100 turns into $200 after 35 times, which means 
Everything in the world is supposed to double in price as per the rules of the game every 35 years. So if you're going to live to 70 years old, that means everything in your lifetime doubles twice. So if you buy a property, you know, if your parents buy a property when you were born for $400,000, by the time you're 35, that property is likely going to be 800,000. And by the time, wow, by the time you're 70, it's, I was going to say 1.2 million, but no, it doubles from 800. So it goes to 1.6. Holy shit. I'm even astonishing myself at this point. <laughs> anyway, so it goes from 400 to 800. Yeah, that's right. It goes from 400 to 800. And then the next 35 years, it goes to 1.6 million. Well, that's why you've seen crazy valuation stuff now. I, I go back to the price of bread. What was the price of bread? How long ago was it? You know, a nickel, right? It's not, if you th actually think about it. I don't know if it was a nickel it's in not my that lifetime long, or your time. No, not lifetime. No, no, I'm talking about, yeah, yeah, but, but just do the math, saying. right? Because yeah, yeah, what do you pay now for a loaf of bread? It's like five bucks. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually. So eat gonna, too I don't actually eat up. too much bread anymore, so I don't know. You you happen to pick one analogy that I have no clue, but I'm going to take your point on that. Yeah, I'll ask the Almighty Google. But uh, so yeah, everything is supposed to double twice in our lifetimes. It's not. This isn't like a surprise. So when I see people in the media or headlines say, "Oh my gosh, things are getting so expensive." It's really, it shouldn't be of any surprise. This is how the game works in Canada. This is how it works in North America. This is how it works all around the world. So the, the unfortunate part about what we just explained is that the Bank of Canada is pretty darn crappy at its job. And the 2% never applies evenly across the board. And not only does it, does it not apply evenly across the board, they never really hit it right. So for example, sometimes things like real estate go up 6% a year and not 2% a year. And if you just use 6% and you'd see how long it takes things to double at 6% compounded, you know how long it takes to double 6% compounded? 12 years, 12 years. So if you buy that property for $400,000 in 12 years, it's now $800,000. At 6% compounded, everything doubles every 12 years. And I know I'm making major like uh, assumptions here saying that, you know, it's 6% compounded every year evenly and there's no negative and that whole bit. I'm just using this as a way of an example to show that this whole thing about inflation, people just dismiss it like, oh, it's not a big deal. And the reason it's an absolutely huge deal is because most people's primary source of income are their salaries or wages from jobs. And from all of our analysis with the Stats Canada data, the one thing does, that does not seem to keep up with other asset or other things of value are incomes. So if you're depending on your income or your career or your salary or your wages to keep your pace of living, you're absolutely playing the game wrong. And it sucks because I feel it sucks because that's all the middle class is taught, including myself. I was always taught, get a good job, have a good life. And then it's like, well, that's like totally bullshit. Yeah, the thing that got, got it messed up is that it's actually, you're using that stated number, and that number, the way they calculate it is very interesting, and it changes, and they'll change yeah, like it sometimes because they'll exclude certain goods, and sometimes they're like, well, because of the volatility in this market, we didn't take it into account. But if you look back, it was the 30s when you could buy a loaf of bread for 10 cents. And uh, if you do that math, it's more than gone up. For what, like, you know, it's changed a lot. The, the, the rate of inflation for that's why well, would you, I don't even know what's like a loaf of bread do you think right now I mean even like I don't know, I don't know 250 or something I, I guess it bucks? depends which type of bread I but know. I mean you go to Cobbs you're spending five bucks or more right yeah. seven eight dollars you're but, never going to Cobbs and spending say, five bucks no but I just I look at the receipts from when my wife goes <laughs> I check it 
So I, we got. I, I have. <laughs> How much did you spend on that bread? I have verified. No, no, but seriously, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah. like, even if it's two bucks, right? From ten cents, it had to go to twenty, to forty, to eighty, to a buck sixty. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it happens faster. Uh, they, they claim the two percent. That's their target, but it's just, it's like you said, they do a bad job at it. It's not working. And then if you look at more kind of other assets, it, it hasn't worked that way either. Right. And a lot of raw materials haven't worked that way either because those things of value when the government prints money. So when you're taking off the gold standard, everyone that had some money, they're like, well, let's put it into something that's going to hold its value. So those types of things are, you know, increased in, in, in value. And as the world developed, the demand for those types of goods went up as well. So the cost for those went because more money went into them and there was demand for them. Like people weren't buying diapers as a store of their money. Right. So just just kind of. It, it just the number changes a lot. And were you talking to a developer recently that said, I forget who you were talking to, some someone somewhere who was saying that they were building a new building and they were just shocked that, or their primary increase of the overall budget for the project was just cost of uh, materials. Like it wasn't, or were we both talking to someone who was just talking about the prices of like steel? No, and the, it, the, the one, I, I, if, if and I think if I remember what you're, I think you're talking about is when I was there was a developer that talking about the price of concrete and I forget the number I'm going to butcher it but it was like something in like the last two years his cost from for the price of concrete went from I think it was nine to fourteen bucks a foot I could be wrong you know but but it was like that type of jump which was like a forty fifty percent jump just in his cost just for the concrete and he's building you know huge condo buildings think how much concrete they're using right so um yeah that you know they're and, and that's why he's saying like their margins even though the cost to uh, sorry the prices have gone up so much their margins were actually squeezed so developers over the last couple of years were making less because the cost of material and labor had increased so much i wonder if that's why that i wonder if that's part of the reason why that one in oakville those new condos the building two of that one in oakville district yeah they they pushed it back remember they were going to release it we actually had some investors who were going to buy some of those condos and they basically canceled building two and said, hey, we're just going to re-release it in the spring. I wonder if it was like cost of material. Yeah, or I like Because I just dismissed it to like, oh, they think they're going to make more money in the spring. But I wonder if some of their costs somewhere went up and it was squeezing their margins, so they just pushed it. It could, could be, yeah. I mean, I, we don't in know. In the last six months, I actually don't know where the number, the, the kind of raw material costs have gone. Um, you know, this was kind of May or June, but yeah. so I don't really know. So here, here's what else I wanted to say on this whole inflation thing is the crazy part about all this is that we have been buying um, with investors right across Toronto. I mean, we have some investors that are buying condos in Toronto proper, but we obviously have a lot of Toronto-based investors who are buying all over the GTA. And some investors that we've been working with for some time, they're shocked at some of the prices. Like we used to be buying a World War II style kind of bungalow. Um, on either side of the city, Nick, either in Oshawa on the east side of the city, up in Barrie, or in a place like Hamilton for like 200 and when we started, it was like 195, 205, 209. We were doing a lot of 209,000. These were three bedroom houses for 209,000. Yeah, I know. Now it seems like a joke. Now it seems like a total yeah. joke. Why, yeah. Why we didn't buy five streets of it, I will never know. But, uh, but now, someone on our team bought this awesome home. I'm just bringing up one of Andrea's properties because it's, it's, uh, it's just one that comes to mind. She bought this awesome home for $557,000. This one's particular one is in Hamilton, and she's renting it out. The total rent on it's going to be like 3600 top and bottom kind of duplex situation. And... Uh, you know, it, it's interesting the response that people have when they hear that number because some investors who've been investing in that area for a long time are like, oh my gosh, $550,000. And they can't believe it because we were buying properties out there for like two hundred and thirty, but that was over 10 years ago. 
So if you just use our basic inflation compounded every year, it makes sense that this, there are those properties have doubled. The crazy part is that if this continues, if inflation continues in the real estate asset class as it has, this $557,000 bungalow in the next 10 to 12 years is gonna go over $1 million. So houses that when we were buying at $210,000, doesn't seem like that long ago, they're now on the path to be over a million dollars. And there's no way that can be guaranteed. There's like absolutely no way what I'm saying can be guaranteed. Yeah, well, like you said, they're, they're, the path that they go on is so inconsistent, right? So, because, and why people are, you know, so the counter to that is people are like, well, it's totally overvalued. And, you know, because what's happened is for a period of time, that property didn't really move much in value. But over the last 10 years, it moved substantially more. Right. That, so we know that it's it's more than doubled in value in the last 10 years. Right. So then a lot of people are like, well, that's a bubble and that bubble is going to burst because of that, because of that huge increase. But th it hadn't moved in so long or had minor moves that it, it really over the course of time, it, the, it, the increase isn't that dramatic right and you know it's like, like this slow po slow motion thing that people well and we look at those and we look at all the numbers based on population and incomes in those areas and all that type of stuff but there's something that's really interesting around so i'm going to just change it from inflation for a second just to bring it to housing specifically when i looked at the numbers of housing starts in, i don't know the exact area it was in and around the gta and the the, the number that came up here is about forty thousand units and and uh the the long term, the 50 year average was closer to 30,000, but the 10 year average was more because we've been, been building more homes. And it's, it's in between about 35 and 40,000 somewhere is the 10 year average. But the, the population growth expected, so sorry, that 10 year average it, um, is what in the last 10 years, right? So if we say it's about 35,000, we have about 350,000 new housing units that have come on the market, right? This is, this is what I don't want to get into like exact kind of math because we're, we're going to get a little more complicated. But let's say we have 350,000 housing units that came on the market. In the 10 years prior, we, we grew in population. So from 2011 to 2021, we're supposed to grow in population from uh, 6.2 million to 7.4 million. So let's say this trend continues. So the next so 10... What's that, 1.2 million? 6.2, um, 7.4? Yeah, it's about 1.2. It's okay. about 1.15. Okay. But let's say 1.2 million. So we have this, these, um, so, and that was from 2011. So we've already, we've already gone through a good chunk of this, only two years away, right? And we're saying the trailing 10 years, housing starts at about 35,000. So we're looking at a roughly the same time frame. So we have 350,000 housing units created, but we have a population growth of 1.2 million. The average size of can, uh, family size in yeah, Canada what is, is, it is right actually 2.9. Right, so 2.9. We'll I, I thought it'd be higher. Like oh, really? I thought you were gonna say like 2.1 or 2.2. No, 2. I thought 2. it'd be over. I thought it'd be over three, but it, okay. but when I looked it up, I forget the source. This was a couple of weeks ago. It was 2.9. So let's say it's three people. So if we say that this uh, that the housing starts three people is gonna go into every housing start, and we have housing starts of 350 thousand in the last 10 years, that's enough for um, 1.05 million. million, except the population growth is 1.2 or 1.25. So there's there's a gap still of 150,000 to 200,000 people. Mm -hmm. That there's there's a shortage of housing supply coming onto the market. And I looked so at it in another that, area. I won't like dive into 50, it. Fifty thousand or something. Whatever. Sorry, I'm just trying to find uh, out. How yeah, many so shortage. probably about forty or fifty thousand, depending on you know, three. Uh, yeah, the average family size, depending on the actual the exact number. But that's the shortage. Right. And then, I, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just Toronto area. Let's look at another area. So I looked at. Um, Actually, that's probably how many homes exist in the town of Oakville. Yeah, town of Oakville's, had, you know, I had that number, Oakville's 189,000. I bet it's like 
50,000 I'd be curious to see the number, yeah. So, because I look, I went and looked back at, at Waterloo, and it's the same thing. In the Waterloo, in the last ten years, it was about a hundred thousand increase. The the um, the um, the housing starts are roughly you know just over three thousand per uh, per year last ten years. So you're about thirty thousand. So if you have, you have about one hundred ten thousand increase, you have thirty thousand housing units, three people per. That's ninety thousand people are housed. There's a gap of twenty thousand. What's happened in the Waterloo region in the last ten years? Big increases in prices, right? Huge increase in demand, more people going into the area, that type of thing. So this is these are the gaps that we've been seeing in different areas, and it's like it's kind of not something everyone's talking about. It's you totally know? crazy. So and that causes this. It causes the, the 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 inflation you're talking about that was kind of like subtle for a while. It can kind of increase it. And I know this is a little bit different than just it's, inflation. It's like a slow motion train wreck. Like people don't see it coming. Don't see it coming. Then all of a sudden everyone looks around like, whoa, prices yeah, double. Yeah. So that's this is the type of numbers that we're looking at. We're like, holy crap, this is this is kind of crazy. So there's just a gap in the supply. The the supply. And remember what Benjamin Tall said when we said uh, when we were down at that conference downtown mm-hmm. about the immigration panel. Yeah, he's, he says they think the numbers are conservative. Yeah, like for population, or sorry, population growth via immigration. Yeah. The numbers are conservative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Far, he said far, far too conservative. Far, and yeah. going forward, he thought they were far too conservative yeah. because he was sitting on some committee or something Yeah, like these that. are numbers that we've already seen. And I guess why this is interesting to me is because people like freak out. I freak out too about the last 10 years in property prices. I'm like, this is crazy. Why you don't is it, freak out. Why is, why is a property? No, I'm happy because I own properties. <laughs> so I've, I, it's, it's worked out well. And I was joking. But, you do freak out. <laughs> But it's been... Uh, I mean that in a good, positive yeah. way. No, but I, I look at them and I'm like, this is kind of nuts, right? And I hear when, I, when I'm at you know, horseback riding with, with, uh, uh, with Ella, they, I hear the other parents talking. They're like, well, they, you know, the prices are this. I can't believe this is crazy. And just in my head, I'm like, yeah, like, they're right. It does seem crazy. But when you look at these types of things, we're seeing what these trends have produced, right? Yeah. When you're seeing that there's just been a gap, it's not just... It's not just well, speculation. That's what's, that's what's pushing. If the Bank of Canada is trying to get 2%, but then you layer in what you're talking about, obscene they population can't control growth, it. they can't keep yeah. the 2%. And and sometimes I struggle explaining to, people, explaining to people why real estate always seems to move before other things. And the reason for it is because mortgages are how money is created. So the real estate market gets the new money the fastest. So when you have population growth, one of the first things that population growth requires is housing because it's a need. So when people go out and get the housing, they create new money. So the money hits real estate first. So it drives the prices. So it's, it's yeah, I, I find the same way when I hear people talking about like, oh my gosh, pro- uh, property prices are crazy. I feel like, aren't you just like, this is this is actually normal yeah. when you have this kind of growth. But in, in and I guess the, the defense of the everyday kind of citizen of Ontario is when you're busy trying to make ends meet, trying to make your career work, you have a busy family, you're not paying attention to any of this. There's not too many people as psycho as you and I looking at population growth and Stats Canada data on this kind of stuff. So I can find, you know, I can relate to people who like, like get serious with their careers for 10 years and then look up and are shocked at the way property prices are. But if, if you are listening to this and you haven't, you want the Stats Canada income data compared to the house price data, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports and you can get the destruction of the middle class report. That's where we took the Stats Canada data from 1969 and mapped it against house prices from the same time, just to show that on a graph on how different and crazy that looks. So if you don't have a copy of that report yet, you can get that at rockstarinnercircle.com dot com forward slash reports because when you see the income and how slowly it grows as uh, compared to um, real estate prices it's absolutely insane and nick here's the crazy part 
if incomes don't really make a jump over the next 10 years, but we already, you and I are kind of talking about like, yeah, maybe with population growth, if there's no big crisis of any sort, if real estate prices continue to grow at the pace they're growing, what happens 10 years from now? Oh, because yeah. we've been talking about the $500,000 home that maybe goes to a million. What about the $1.1 million Mississauga home? Like, are those all going to 2.2? Like, you know, what the heck is happening? And 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 the crazy part is that this is oh, this whole inflation thing. It's 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 part of the rule book, you know. And and what's also frustrating to me is you know every time you read, really when we got into involved into real estate in a serious way, I was also a point in my life that I was reading a lot of like how to retire books and like savings and all those books like they kind of mentioned inflation, but they all they basically said like if you just save as much money as a cappuccino a day, you'll retire a millionaire by the time you're 65 if you start like by your time. Yeah, but what's a millionaire isn't what it used to be either, right? They never really addressed the whole inflation thing. They kind of said, yeah, well, you have to account for inflation. But if you account for inflation, like 30%, somebody, uh, somebody was doing the historic inflation um, rate on me a little while ago. And they're like, yeah, if you want $200,000 in annual income when you retire, you know, for your family and you want like a nice healthy income of 200 grand, that's actually like, you know, if 30 years from now, you actually have to plan for like 380 or $400,000 in income, you know, and that's only at like a 2% inflation rate, right? If you're planning out 35 or 40 years. So that changes how much you have to save absolutely massively. So I guess, I, I, so I was just talking, so sorry, finish your thought. No, no, I was going to, I was going to transition into like, can this continue and look at some of the numbers? Okay. So what, well, this kind of leads into the, can this continue too? Because it's one of the reasons I was watching the election, multiple reasons, obviously. And what was interesting is that the liberals, their platform was four years ago, their platform was, we're going to balance the budget in four years, right? Was it four or five? Yeah. Something like that. Now their platform is like, ah, we kind of screwed that up. We're not going to balance in four years. And, um, and we're not going to balance. It's going to take us, instead of four, it's going to take us like another 20. <laughs> you know. So they came out and said until like 2022 or somewhere. In the, the, yeah, you know, I even that, missed that. Is that what they've said It was said somewhere now? in that decade, I believe, that their projections were like, that's, that's when there's really going to be a balanced budget now. Which blows my mind because like... It wasn't that long ago where balancing the budget, even when, even with the liberals, like remember when uh, Cretien was in and yeah. Paul Martin was finance well, I think minister? they were the best tandem at it, man. Right, that, Paul was a, Martin, that, was an, they, that was like a unicorn moment for Canada. Because they, they fiscally, they, they manage things really, yeah. really well, right? So, so, but it's not a political statement, liberal, conservative. No, whatever. but I think they had to because in the early 90s, I think Canada was close to the IMF coming in because we were so out of they control. Were at one point. And then the liberals kind of took yeah. it. But then anyways, they did, they did a good job. And it used to matter. Like people used to care about that. But this, this time it seemed like like, like I, I read the different different uh, uh, polls about what people cared about. And I know it takes those with a grain of salt, but budget was like way down the Nobody list. Cares. Like no one cares. It doesn't impact you today. Yeah. So that's, and what's interesting is if they're going to create all this money or print, spend all this money, this deficit spending, they know they can never get it back unless they inflate the debt away. So by the w- liberals winning, it, to me, I'm like, okay, well, inflation's going to go. Well, this game's going to continue because they know they're going to continue. So, like, I was watching it that an, way. You bring up an interesting point because I wonder if the people who don't care, if I wonder if they realize that if they're having kids right now, and then they don't care about this, but the only way not to care is for the liberals or whatever government's in power to just keep spending, mm-hmm. right? We don't care about the deficits. We don't care. Keep spending. But if you have kids right now, that means that when your kids are due to buy a house. You're going to look around going, what the heck? Yeah. The homes used to be a million dollars in Mississauga. And now they're $2 million. And you're just going to kind of like blame the government. But you were the ones who voted for 
people who are or a government who doesn't care about deficits. But yeah. then again, nobody knows about this stuff. I like, know. No one talks but, but about that, it. But the the pharma care and the free daycare spots and all that mm. stuff is that's what's causing. Like like there's some underlying totally. truth to that's yeah. what's causing it. You know, and I'm not saying get rid of those. Like look, I'm not saying like you know people need those. This isn't a political statement. Um, you know, have them. But I, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of other inefficiencies in the government. Remember, I used to work at the government. Right? I used to I work at the government too. Yeah, and in my, you know, and I wasn't high up in the government. I didn't get a good a good look behind the scenes at all the different books and financials. But from what I could tell on the front line, wow, were there inefficiencies? Yeah. <laughs> there was money to be saved. That's for sure. You know, so I'm not saying get rid of that stuff or or anything. I, I realize the social value of that, but there, it does. I just think. It comes with a cost. And at least if everyone's aware of, okay, guys, here's the cost. We're going to do this. And 10 years down the road, here's the cost of it. And then it's a more informed decision, right? Yeah. Here's the cost. You're, no, you're, all your kids are screwed. No one will be able to afford a home. But then I guess the flip side is that the home that you happen to be living in, if you already own a home, is going to like double in yeah. quote, quote unquote value or price or whatever. So those people are going to be happy. Basically, anyone who owns assets is always going to be happy in this environment. As long as they're good ones. But uh, yeah, you don't want to own shit ass. <laughs> but you're right. But uh, so l- there's something I wanted I wanted to uh, call out here is that we n- something that we look at all the time is can this trend continue? Like, is it possible for like inflation in this kind of spending to continue? And we often look at the U.S. deficits because basically the Bank of Canada follows what the U.S. does. There's sometimes a little bit lag, but historically, if you go like the last 60 years and you get a comparison chart between the Bank of Canada's um, lending rates and the Federal Reserve's lending rates, it's always kind of mimicking each other. They never really go out of whack too much. I think there's a brief period in time, maybe in the 80s or something, where they kind of diverge just a tiny bit for a little bit of time. But overall, Bank of Canada, in Canada, we mimic what the U.S. does with its interest rates. So as a result, we spend a lot of time focusing on the U.S. budgets and their deficits because that's going to dictate what they do with their interest rates. And the Congressional Budget Office put out this awesome summer report um, in 2019, this past summer, and it basically said that from 2019 to 2029, so for the next 10 years, they are projecting that the annual deficit is going to be about 5% of the uh, gross domestic product of the US. And they have this very flat, even line saying every year it's gonna be 5%, every year it's gonna be 5%. And then if you look into that report a little bit more, this is what kind of baffles my brain. If you look, it shows you the actual budget deficit in the US of 823 billion as of the year 2018. And then it shows by 2029 that it is 1.4 trillion. And then if you do the math on that, it's approximately, and I am rounding here, but it's approximately a 6% growth rate. So if the budget is going to increase, sorry, the the um, deficit is going to increase. So the government's going to spend more than it takes in in tax revenues. And that increase of the deficit is going to increase 6% a year. How can they show a chart that shows the average deficit's just going to remain like flat? It would have to assume that the gross domestic product or the economy in the US is gonna also grow at 6%. Like unless my math, unless my like grade eight level math here, and I maybe I'm being confusing when I explain it, but you can't have something grow at 6% and something else that you're comparing it to, the economy, grow at a different rate and show like that they're in sync together. So for the economy to grow at 6% to match the deficit increase, that would be an astronomical growth rate. So I looked at the forecasted growth rate of the U.S. economy 
as per the Congressional uh, Budget Office, and it's 1.8%. So they're saying the, the U.S. economy is going to grow at 1.8%. And by the way, they always screw that up. Like, they always screw it up. Well, they but change it every three months, they change, too. Yeah, it's yeah. always changed. But that, if they're as low as 1.8%, and that's pretty low for a positive spinning Congressional bu- Budget Office, and the, bu- and the budget deficit is going to grow at 6%, that's a delta of like 4.2% or 4% if I'm kind of rounding it. So if you compound that 4%, the deficits are going to get out of control even crazier, which is going to add to the $22 trillion in debt that the U.S. already has. And this is why I think they can never raise interest rates. The only possibility of raising interest rates would be some sort of crisis in the bond market, which would be like a separate conversation altogether because that's a legit financial crisis. And again, when you say, I just want to be clear, because when you say raise interest rates, you're so matter of fact about it. And I think I I agree with you, except they can raise interest rates, but it's minor. Like you mean a major major move because they have raised interest rates. I don't mean like a quarter point or half. I don't even mean a point. I mean, they can't raise them like 3%. Yeah, because they they have raised them over the last couple of years. Now they're cutting them again. Yeah. But yeah, so there can be small moves, but to go into what was considered the normal, quote unquote, normal interest rate environment. Yeah, back you know up to I mean? five or six percent. That's, that's, I, I mean, don't in think anyone sees how they can, they no. can do that. Right? In 2007, we were getting mortgages at like 4.8, 5.2%. Like no one, and look at it this way. It's pretty simple. If the U.S. budget, uh, sorry, if the U.S. debt is at 22 trillion, a 1% interest rate move would increase payments on the budget deficit, uh, would increase interest payments 220 billion because 1% of 2.2 trillion is 220 billion. Okay? So if 200. No, that's 10%. 10%? 2.2 billion. No. It would be 1%. No, 2.2 trillion is 10% of 22 trillion. Oh, 22 trillion. 22, 22 trillion. trillion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 sorry. Right. 22 trillion. 22 trillion. A 1% increase in interest rates would mean the interest payments increased 22 billion. Sorry, now we're messing it all up. 220 billion dollars. Yeah. Now. Stick with me here. The annual budget deficit of the U.S. currently is like 800 and some odd billion. So that means if interest rates were to go up 1%, you're increasing the deficit of the U.S. with a 1% interest rate move by 25%. Over 2 trillion, o- over a trillion. Over a trillion. But if you raise interest rates 4%, you're doubling oh, yeah, done. the annual yeah, just done. deficit just on interest payments. <laughs> So this is why when people tell me, like, matter-of-factly, like economists talk about it, we've had bankers in Are front there of tax our- revenues up or down? The tax revenues, I had this stat. Yeah, uh, I, I think they're slightly down because of tr- uh, Trump's tax, tax cuts. cuts, which gave a bump to the economy. Um, but it's kind of lower tax revenues a little bit. Don't hold me to that exactly, though. But if you speak to an economist and you just say, well, how are they ever going to raise interest rates? Because it would a 4% raise would just double their annual deficit. It's just kind of blank stares. Like, I don't get it. So the only way they're going to be able to raise interest rates is if they inflate the economy bigger and faster. So I think this inflation thing is kind of here to stay because it's the only card they have left to play. Because if they can't, the only options you have when you have that much debt out in the world is what? Like you you either pay it back through growing the economy, like the normal method, like let's grow the economy in a healthy state and like pay back our debt, which doesn't seem to be working because the, the debt's growing faster than the economy. But that's like the normal thing, grow the economy through like actual real growth. Or you default, you're like, shit, we can't pay back this debt. It's just too much. They're never going to default because that being Wall Street and the banking sector goes under. So the third option, the only third option that I can figure out is you inflate it away, meaning you grow the economy artificially through pumping more money in and let asset bubbles form all over the place. And if you're kind of smart, you see this coming, you play the game. It's like this game of hot potato. 
But that's kind of like their only play because the economy doesn't seem to be growing naturally faster than the debt and they're not going to default. So this inflation, I guess my, my thinking is that, and I'm just thinking out loud, like I don't even know if that, any of this makes sense. Listen, if you're listening to this, we're not economists. <laughs> we, we, we are just, we just like looking at this kind of stuff, but it just, it feels to me that they're just going to inflate their way out of this. Um, you know, and the, you're right. The Nick, Canadian, tax, the, ta- oh, sorry. No, it's just going to answer your point. Like tax revenue, the U.S. federal debt as a proportion of tax revenue is at its highest all the way back to 19. If I only have the data going back to 1945 when it was 5.6 times tax revenue. And now the debt as a relation to tax revenue is 11 times. I think that's the highest on historical record. Yeah, but that means that's like you earning, you know, let's say fifty thousand dollars, but you have a credit card that, um, you know, yeah, the interest rates the interest rates are lower. So let's say you have like mortgage debt, or just a regular simple line of credit that is, um, yeah, five hundred and fifty grand. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take you to pay off the five hundred and fifty grand when you're making fifty grand a year? You know, yeah, like just think about far. it. Right? Minimum payments all the way along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the Canadian government mismanages three hundred and thirty billion every year. That's our income. Right, that's what they kind of fritter away. I guess yeah. probably, I guess say ten percent of it's probably smartly spent. I don't know. It's my answer. Yeah, government. like you know what, we need the healthcare and stuff, but let's healthcare roads. Like yeah, yeah. there is police, some stuff, but yeah. I just man, like federally, when I, don't when I hear who just pays for our police, municipal, Peel. Uh, regional, it must be regional. Yeah, municipal. Yeah, okay, it's, it's regional. Yeah, yeah, right? okay. But it's um, it's just when I hear about the studies that they, you know, they they commission another study for thirty million to like determine something useless. You you know, like I know. Do we need something? Sometimes I like, think about that, like how much money we waste on committees. But then I think, damn, like some of these committees we need because if I was making an important decision, I would need a freaking committee of some sort. But I know they waste a lot of no, bullshit. No, no, no. Don't time. forget, don't don't forget the um the OCB. Ontario Cannabis Store. Oh yeah, the logo. Do you remember that? Yeah. What was yeah. it? What, what, what did it cost? I think they spent three or four hundred or six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. If anyone go, if you're around a computer, or if you've seen the, uh, uh, so they came up with two things for six hundred and fifty grand. They hired a firm that managed to kind of like brilliantly just kind of name the marijuana sales in Ontario the Ontario Cannabis Store because that's like very you know, creative, like no one thought of that. And then they came up with a, a logo that was like an OCB and that was pretty much it. Oh, like man. it was just crazy for 650 grand. It was, it blew my mind. Is that's the type of stuff that freaks me out. Like who, what marketing firm got that contract and spent $20,000 in salaries? Yeah. Like, like I'm, you know I'm I mean? so two-sided on that. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's an absolute waste of money, but at least the marketing firm was hopefully some private company that earned yeah. it and they made some money yeah. and hopefully spent some money. No, I know. I know. I'm happy for them too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. If I was the marketing firm that got that, yeah. Oh my god! But that's you could go to Fiverr.com and get a logo for five bucks. Yeah, no, I know. Well, what about the one billion dollars to cancel that gas plant thing from yeah, Dalton McGinty? And that yeah. right before the election, I mean, it basically yeah, came no, out, no. and then they hid, they hid all the files. Remember, they 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 deleted no, hard drives. No, because I like to stuff. avoid that kind of stuff because it just irritates yeah, me. Yeah, but so they went much, to court. So. They deleted hard drives and stuff. He got away with it. Someone else, one of the other guys, got tried. You know, but it's just it's crazy. Like the amount of waste just blows my mind. Okay, what are you gonna rant on next? I got, I got lots of, lots of good. Okay, no, stuff. I don't know. Pick something. I so, have. here's something that this goes back to just the cost of goods that we were talking about before, because I was, I was curious. I'm like, look, I wanted to go back just ten years, not too far, 
and because I wanted to see the impact of these these low rates and, and where thing where things are. So I took the um, I I took about ten years ago, it's about eleven years ago now, that rates uh, when they started coming down. And at the time, I don't have the exact interest rate I used, but I think it was about the five percent mark, somewhere where you said that was like the posted rate, right? Because remember we yep. were getting yeah, mortgages yeah. at that time. So when I took roughly that rate, and I took today's rate, I took the the, the latest mortgage we renewed at or one that we renewed a couple months ago was two point seven nine. Two point seven nine. Someone just got one at two point five nine. They told oh yeah. Me. They told me I don't have firsthand knowledge. Yeah, was, yeah. I, I was told that. Yeah. So when I took those two rates and I went for two thousand and nine, I said, okay, uh, let's let's take a mortgage amount of five hundred thousand dollars, and I punched it in. I'm okay, five hundred thousand dollar mortgage amount. What what are my payments? And it's thirty three forty nine. Well, after ten years later, when I took today's mortgage rate, I'm like, okay, how does how does the mortgage rate really impact things? Ten years later, the thirty three forty nine, the same monthly payment, has it carries a mortgage of seven twenty four. And what was it before? Carried a mortgage five hundred. So yeah, so almost fifty percent. Fifty percent. Yeah, just under like four, high. 40s. And the drop in rates. So how many? Uh, what percentage in drop in probably rates? Probably rates might have been cut in half, probably because okay. two point seven four. I think it was about five. So yeah, yeah. just right, right around half. So I, I, you know, somewhere in that range. But I'm like, yeah, it's no wonder that you know. And then the government's like, yeah, what's going on with housing? Well, what do you mean what's going on with housing? Look, it's you, <laughs> it's you guys no, have caused it's it. It's not rocket science, you know. So, but it was surprising to me that it was that much of a difference. Yeah. Wow. I, I, so that means if rates payment, go from two point seven nine. Because we think, through our own research, we've been doing some research that we recently shared. We don't have time to go into it here, but one of the Your Life, Your Terms events, we just shared how through some of our research, we think the central bankers in the U.S. are fully prepared to go from 2.7 or wherever they are now yeah. to like zero or even slightly negative yeah. or zero with a lot of quantitative easing to make it negative so that real rates would actually be negative. So the payment of 33.50 in that case, so then, then it goes way over a million. Yeah. So we might have one more solid run on real estate here over the next few years as they continue to drop rates. I mean, that's crystal ball yeah. speaking, which is just pure guessing. Yeah, so rates is one thing. And then we have to look at supply and demand kind well, he, of and, and the here, economics that are going on here. And right now, that demand. favor and the, the shortage of supply favors property holders, landowners, you know, anyone with real estate. So, so now those trends can change. Like we're always kind of... Yeah, paranoid. Know, on, we're like, straight on, up on a paranoid. weekly basis, I think we're looking at different things, saying, "Okay, what's going on now?" You know what I mean? So, but, but the the initial forecasts are nothing's kind of jumping out saying, "Oh, here's a red flag." Like it looks like this trend's ready to change now. Like anything can you know, they can change immigration laws tomorrow, and all of a sudden, immigration goes totally. from four hundred down to one fifty. That's going to change things yeah, very quickly. Totally. You know, but but nothing's jumping out like the liberals won. The chances of them doing that probably pretty slim. Or there could be a bond market crisis where people just decide screw it totally give yep. me my money back i'm not buying any of these bonds out in the market anymore and then rates just kind of spike up so we're totally not talking about any of that stuff that's the that's the kind of black swan event that could happen yeah. at any time yeah. that we're totally not talking about and that would be the way that fixed rates could really go like that would be the event if the bond market just said it puked screw on it. itself yep. Then rates go jumping high, and then all the analysis we're talking about goes in the reverse. Yeah. Because if the rates go up now two percent, the property prices come down the fifty yep. <laughs> percent. Holy shit! Yeah, that's scary shit. And they, you know what? That, that for them to fully come down that much, it would have to mean there's a lot of sellers. People are going to have to live. But that's a that's a sketchy environment. Yeah. The, the only thing. So yes, a hundred percent. That's sketchy. Hundred percent. With there's things like that that can happen. You know. Well, well look what happened in the U.S. when the, totally. mor the mortgage market totally. just dried up because yeah. of all those crazy mortgages, right? Um, which I don't know if you want to share after, or maybe you did already on, on a different podcast, just about kind of we're seeing some of those kind of. Come I'm back. just about to share it. Okay. So, but before you do, 
the only thing that comes to mind in that type of scenario, I guess, for myself, so, you know, cash flowing properties, they cover themselves, income producing properties. In that scenario, the property prices come down. The, the economy is going to be so screwed, right? Like, the, the, it's not going to be real estate that's hit. So that when real estate's hit like that, the yeah, whole economy gets screwed. Yeah, that's a good point. We screwed. focus on real estate, but I'm it's a gonna, broader thing. Yeah, so the economy is going to be totally screwed. Are those properties to me going to be even more valuable from an income and, and wealth generating place or not? And I guess maybe because Why? I had because number, you're thinking Well, that because, yeah, I have these income generating assets still oh, that it. are paying yeah. for themselves. So the, the value You might have one of the only down. valuable assets in the economy. Well, yeah, because the saying. economy is so screwed. Like yeah. if, if we're talking one of those black swan events where like, you know, things get really hammered, it, it, nothing happens in, in, in a vacuum. You know what I mean? A drag. There's another number of other things, and I'm not saying I'm right. I, it's just a thing that I play in my head because I, I actually fight with myself back and forth. I'm like, well, yeah, I see the good side, but I'm like, well, I see the shitty side too. So I kind of fight back and forth with it. Like, which one is it? You, you know. Anyways, yeah, these mortgages. Um, yeah, that's so, okay, super interesting. Okay, so here's what I wanted to talk about: is that you, you know, everyone listening to this might not pay attention to this, but you might have seen a headline about something called the repo market. And here's what's happening: banks need to lend to each other overnight. It happens in Canada. It happens in the U.S. And in the U.S., um, when they lend to each other overnight, and by the way, they do that just to kind of balance their books. Um, when they lend to each other overnight, it's very short-term lending. So like if one bank lends to another bank, I don't know, $10 million, the other bank says, okay, you know what? Can you just show me some collateral because I'm just lending this to you overnight, but you know, show me something on your books that makes me feel good that I'm going to get the $10 million back in case you can't pay it back. You have some other collateral that's going to act on behalf of that $10 million. And they just kind of lend to each other overnight. It's a very liquid market. It's the uh, Federal Reserve's overnight lending rate is used to dictate the interest interest on that market. So it's a very technical thing, but at a high level, just know that banks lend to each other to balance their books overnight. I know someone's going to be listening to this and say, Tom, you generalized it way too much, but we can gladly go into a much deeper dive on that at another time. But here's what's happened over the last two months. The overnight lending market has started to seize up. And when it first started seizing up, people were freaking out because we're like, that should be a very, banks should be able to lend to each other overnight very easily. And some excuses came up like, oh, it's like, you know, the end of the month is coming up and there's some tax payments that need to be made and there's just a shortage of liquidity in the market. And it was supposed to be like two or three weeks. Well, this has gone on now. Nick, I think it's like mid-September. I feel like it was mid-September. There now, the Fed is like active in the overnight lending market every night at this point mm -hmm. and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight and the bank is specifically uh sorry the federal reserve is specifically saying even though we are printing fresh money and pumping it into the repo market overnight do not call this quantitative easing this is not quantitative easing don't call this quantitative easing and i'm like holy shit what the hell is happening here and then on top of this right about the middle of august we had a, a, a friend of ours come up from florida and he, we did a podcast together and Nick, I still can't remember if it was on the podcast or before or after, but he said something like, Hey guys, like subprime is back. I think it was on the podcast. Was it on yeah. the podcast? And we're like, what the hell are you talking about? Subprime lending is back. Subprime lending is what almost destroyed the U S and he's like, no, subprime lending is back. And we're, you know, after the podcast, Nick and I did some research into this and we find that there is this kind of subprime loan. And I'm going to read you this one paragraph because it's, it's, uh, it's from this real estate news it's an August 21st, 2019 article. The headline is this, Mortgage Market Reopens to Risky Borrowers. And uh, if you read this paragraph, listen to this, it says, largely gone are the monikers subprime and Alt-A, which are a type of mortgage that earned the nickname Liar Loan because so many borrowers faked their income and assets. 
Now they are called non-qualified or non-QM because they don't comply with post-crisis standards set by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau for preventing borrowers from getting loans they can't afford. So basically, they're not called subprime anymore. They're called non-qualified or non-QM. And then Nick and I did a little bit more research and we dug up the level of these types of loans. And in 2008, there was about, so right before the kind of crisis hit, um, there was about 65 some odd billion dollars of these things. And then in 2009, it dropped to 10. So it literally like the market just almost evaporated, dropped way back down. But then if you look in 2010, it got less. It actually went from 10 to it went right down to about eight. But then in 2011, it starts increasing again. And every year it starts crawling itself back up. It's a little uneven, but the last three or four years it's gone on fire. And 2018, there was 45 billion, almost back to the 60 billion that was the year before the crisis. So even though they're called non-qualifying or some people are calling them unconventional loans, all these subprime lending or bad kind of mortgages are back in the market. And so much so that the U.S. Senate, the Banking and the Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs Committee in the U.S. Senate in September 2019, they actually had a committee to talk about this stuff that got hardly any press. And there's this one federal housing um, director, Mark Calabria, he has this quote. It says, I will tell you as a safety and soundness regulator, when I look at $3 trillion institution, and he's refer he's referring to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who kind of like guarantee these kinds of mortgages, a three, or sorry, have uh, they not all of them, but they do a bunch of them. At a $3 trillion institution that is leveraged 1,000 to one, it keeps me up at night. He's saying that they are less equipped for a downturn today than they were in 2008. So like, it's kind of creepy to know that like, not only do I think rates are low and they can't go high because of the deficits, there's in the background, the repo market is kind of like, you know, showing signs of like something's not right. Like some banks don't like the collateral. And then it got me thinking, oh my gosh, is the collateral in the repo market that some banks are using some of this funky unconventional mortgage, which is stuff. what caused all the problems last what, time, right? Yeah. Which is what caused all the, the problems last time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, are we like on the verge of another one? And then I'm like, oh, well, how long can they keep it together? Because if you think we're on the verge of another one, who knows? It could be five years before anything happens and they ha they can keep lowering interest rates for another two percentage points before they hit zero. So all of this mashed together makes it like very complicated and very crazy. But the bottom line to me is, Let's say there is some weird lending crisis going on between the banks. What's the move by the central bank in the U.S.? They're just going to print more money. They're just going to keep rates low. And even if the bond market starts to like gyrate a little crazy, they're going to step in and buy the bonds because they can't afford interest rates to go higher. So inflation over the next 10 years, maybe it's not going to be 2%, 3%. There's potential that it could get worse. I mean, there's potential that it's it, it just less go, too. It, yeah. Totally. There's potential it could go either way. I just mean the, the the kind of kindling is there for inflation not to be 5 or 6% over the next 10 years. The, the kindling's there that it might be much higher. So like maybe our projections, like maybe our projections of like, you know that $500,000 house, maybe in 10 years it'll go to like 1 million and we're like, holy crap, wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be 5, 6% a year compound. Maybe we're wrong and maybe we're like undershooting. Because if inflation comes in higher, that's going to be too low. 
And I know anyone who's listening to this who is anti-real estate is going to think I'm a pro-real estate person and like real estate can do no wrong. No, I'm not saying that at all. You have to buy smart. You have to make your real estate uh, portfolio recession-proof. You have to buy what Nick was saying, income-producing properties that pay for themselves. You can't get carried away and just buy anything. I'm just like brainstorming out loud on this episode, just thinking like, holy crap, is the kindling there for inflation to go like even higher than even what we're suggesting it could? Because a lot of people think we're crazy with some of our projections. We have a property by by McMaster, one of the properties by McMaster that you know you used to call like it's, it's going to be it's the million dollar student property. It's going to be the million dollar student student rental, and we everyone kind of laughed, right? We, remember we used the, to at laugh. team meetings. Well, I I remember sitting in the back boardroom at our old office, and it only held like what six people. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, the team yeah, meeting. Totally, yeah. And you kind of said that you mentioned it, and everyone kind of laughed about it. And it was bought at two fifty, and we overpaid for it at two fifty. We made a mistake at that time but that was what 20 years ago now or so that we bought that that property it's now tripled in value yeah right that Crazy. property has tripled, tripled in, val in value and we've done um outside of routine maintenance so we've done updates to keep it keep it at a at a standard yeah, we've done level actually a fair bit no no we have done a fair yeah. bit but we've done nothing that's that's structural yeah we've done nothing that's increased the value of the property we haven't added more rooms yeah you know, no additions no new we, re we, re we renovated some kitchens and stuff just to, uh, just to keep them on par with just normal kind of wear and tear stuff, you know? So what, like we haven't forced appreciation of that property in any other way by adding a floor or that type of stuff, right? So just like typical standard, standard appreciation, what's happened in the last 20 years, that property's tripled in value. So it's just, it's, uh, you know, some of the things that it's, it, when you, but when you said it at the time, it seemed insane. And looking back, you're like, yeah, no, I kind of see it makes sense, right? So it's something it can be very hard to kind of look forward sometimes and, and understand it. Yeah. Right? And but I, again, I it's not a straight line and this has been a good run and we're very, you know, we understand that. Like things don't go straight like that now. Like both of us just roll our eyes when we give out the disclaimers. Well, Listen, because people, we're just talking. Well, you know no, what? Because know. people are like, well, did you think about this, this and this? And and we, we have, like we, we, we try to counter our own arguments all the time. Do you like on a regular basis, right? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and people do criticize sometimes saying, uh, I think one of the Rockstar Minutes I put out, I said, you know, there's been no correction. And someone's like, no, there's been a correction in 2010 and there was 2012 and 2017. And to be fair, yeah, prices did go. Like there was Oakville townhomes going for a million dollars in 2017 that are now going for like eight ninety five. Like I'm not talking about that. Yeah, guy. but that's not. But so, yes, you're right. But that was pocket specific, like area yeah, specific I'm and, not, and and and. and property type specific because in some areas those starter townhomes didn't move at all they actually kept increasing the entire time they didn't come down in pricing at all totally right? so so yeah and you're talking correction i'm talking like correction across, across the board, the board yeah. where yeah. there's a massive freeze of the real estate market where basically real estate transactions like the volume get cut in half for over a year like a year or two years i'm just counting kind of some kind of serious stuff um, and anyway, so just kind of circling back to that whole U.S. comment, because the U.S. is in the state it's in, it makes me just then think the Bank of Canada is also not going to be able to raise interest rates because of the state of the U.S. and their fiscal situation in the U.S. We're kind of similar up here. And we can't afford to make our interest rates much different than what the U.S. does because we don't want our dollar to be really um, high in relation to the U.S. because we're basically export-driven economy with the U.S. being our number one customer. So we're locked into these low rates as much as the U.S. is locked into these low rates. So going forward, to me, it's just like, damn, if you if you don't get your income or your money you make from wages or a career into some sort of asset ownership, the next 10 years... 
is going to be scary. And not only that, Nick, something well, weird. The last 10 years have been scary. The last 10 years have been scary. If you're then, only based on income over the last 10 years, you've 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 missed out on a, on a big chunk. You've like, missed out on a big chunk. Great. And it hasn't really been your fault or anything. It's just kind of happened. Yeah. So if the next 10 years were to be like the last 10 years, yeah. You, Which it looks there, like there could be, the gap can widen even further. Totally. And it's kind of why, um, you know, I talked to, I, I know you, your, your kids are a little younger, but Aiden's, my son's now finishing high school and I've talked to him now regularly. He has an account that he's saving for his first rental property. He always asks when you bought your first one, by the way. Because he wants to Because he's quietly competitive, so I yeah. think he wants to beat you. <laughs> but uh, I think he's been, no, I think he's openly told me that. <laughs> Does he? So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he's working and saving up his money to, to buy his first asset. But I, I just mean, if, I just feel like if there's one thing we can introduce into our education system here, it would be like, hey, choose a career that you love, do things that you love, you know, go into the healthcare field if that's your thing, go into whatever it is, but take some form of your income and save it so that you can buy assets. And the reason that this kind of also bothers me a little bit, Nick, is that I feel 10 years from now, look, you and I are middle-class Mississauga kids born to immigrant parents, just basically trying to survive. Our parents, basically, I would consider poor of the poorest of the poor type people who came in to their this childhood yeah, yes. yeah yeah and, yeah and coming here yeah. with nothing, like our father nothing. was born in a bush yeah right like yeah. Our, our our mom did not have the best upbringing by any means um so they both came here with basically nothing um and you know we kind of they they got us kind of in what i would call into the middle class in, in canada and then here we are saying hey you know what i think it's a probably a good idea for us to buy some properties for ourselves and our families but i feel you know what's coming our, our way and anyone who owns property if you're listening to this i feel like in 10 years we're going to be accused of being the rich because you're like oh you're you're one of those people who has property that's worth this much and you've done it's not like any of us have sat out, sat out on this journey for that reason. It's just been more survival and how can we play the money game to win it? But I feel like that's something, if you own property, if you're listening to this and you have two or three income properties now, be prepared for that. Because I strongly believe in 10, 15 years, people are gonna look at you and say, oh, you're one of the lucky ones. You have like three rental properties worth however much money. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be in your position? And and the, the real impact is that no one will know the sacrifices that you went through to get those and it'll be dismissed. And I know I'm getting on a different topic, but this is unfortunately where when I talk about the destruction of the middle class, this is where it happens between classes as the divergence increases. But isn't sucks. that happening? It's happening, happening now. now. Like yeah, the same just, comments it's, exist. It's, it's the same comments exist. I guess I just mean it's happening in slow motion right now. And I feel like 10 years, it'll have just compounded, compounded, yeah. compounded. And those conversations will be just more prevalent everywhere. Well, we run some ads on Facebook, right? So in some of our Facebook ads, the comments that you're getting now, I mean, I know this is social media, which isn't, I mean, I generally don't spend much time worrying about what comments on social media are saying but we do see them and some of the when you talked about the destruction of the middle we class see report, some of them we don't where we see map, all of them. where we map the properties to the um income to, to the incomes right and then you know we share some of that and the comments are like yeah well you guys are the reason why you know like it's like people like you meaning like real estate investors you know you're hogging all these properties you know people greedy people like you greedy people some people comment on the immigration they're like you know if these well, well yeah that's just a touchy subject that's different yeah people. i'm not getting into that but i'm just people are always like pointing the finger like they're already like well it's, this is the reason this is the reason and not really kind of taking responsibility for themselves and looking at other people as the cause and it's like they're holding them back right 
So it's already there. And if it's going to amplify, which is a good chance it's going to, yeah, you got to be something you be prepared for. It, we're not going to have time on this episode, but I wanted to talk to you about the population. I want to ask you uh, Canada's population growth specifics and some of your research into just students and what they're doing um, as around the population here in Canada. So we'll do that at another, another time. But something I did want to mention is that if you're listening to this, one of the most often question, uh, common questions that we get about real estate would be, well, well, guys, if there is a correction, what happens to rent? Because that's our ultimate concern. Like if we can lock in interest rates and protect ourselves from any interest rate moves, what happens to the actual ex income side of the equation? If we can control some of the expense side of the equation. And from all our research in the US when they had the kind of the big downfall, rent stayed pretty stable. And very shortly afterwards, they started drifting upwards because the demand for good properties and rent in uh, rental properties increased. It didn't decrease and it increased because banks weren't lending. There was no access to credit, but people still needed a place to live. So although in places like, you know, Ohio and some places in Florida, they had these massive downturns in property prices, there was no correlation with a massive downturn in rents. For starter homes, I want to be clear. We've been seeing 10 to 20% rent increases over the last number of years, like each year, annually. Like, think yeah, about it, right. right. It's been that much. Yeah. I haven't really put a percentage Depending to it. Depending on the area, yeah. that's what it's been. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Been, they've been very, very strong. strong. That, but in a downturn, I guess, is what I'm suggesting is that I, they'll I likely stay but, stable. But what I'm saying is if they're that strong now, the, the reason they're that strong is supply and demand. So if they're that strong now and there's a downturn and people can't afford it, they have to- Oh, God, no access home, to credit. Yeah, yeah. The demand's likely going to increase, you know? So even if it's not- So let's say it doesn't even keep- this trend today because that trend can't continue forever like it just can't right so let's say that trend doesn't continue and it's just a fraction of that trend well even if that trend is cut in in four so a quarter of it is still a very kind of healthy you know number that you can you can work with totally right? that's a good point so yeah. and, and and it maybe the trend's even wiped out and it goes to no rent increases and it just stays stable but what has to happen for it to be wiped out is a big shift so that because of what's what's going on with supply and demand right now it can the market can handle that big shift and not have the rents really change much. And that's part of the big reason is because we're in a rent control environment, which in any downturn will provide more stability because they're the rents are artificially held low anyways, right? Yeah, crazy times, man. Crazy. It's kind of fun to be in real estate at this time with all the interest rate stuff. Well, there's a lot of stuff to look at. You right? took a there's, deep breath a when I said that. You yeah. took a big sigh. Like, I don't know, is it really? No, it is. It is. It, it, it's just, there's just a lot of stuff. To, I think what I like about it is, is it's a big puzzle and you're just trying to figure out the puzzle. Totally, you yeah. know that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It, I always call just, it like a game, but yeah. a puzzle is the best way. Like, how do the pieces fit all together? And yeah, how can you're you just make trying to think like any investor. So, like investors that invest in the stock, they're looking at the market. And they're looking at moving averages and this and that. Like they're in the stock, in the stock market, or in stocks. I just realized what I said, but they're 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 trying to figure out their own puzzle. And in real estate, it's trying to figure out that puzzle as well. It's a little bit different, and it's a little bit more straightforward once you. Well, you can control more pieces. Well, of once it. you have the property, you actually have something physical you can rent out, and you know, so it's a little bit different. But, but you're just trying to understand it, right? So, and the more you understand, and the more you can kind of make your decisions based on more information, and give yourself a little bit of an edge. We're probably both just massive control freaks, and that's why we like real estate. No, I think we're just nerds, and we like looking. I like, I'm a nerd. I like looking at these numbers. <laughs> I'm definitely a geek with this stuff. But uh, anyway. So that anything else? I think no. that's good. We'll, no, I think we'll that's do the now. population stuff. Yeah, on we can we can episode. cover that stuff totally. for sure. So uh, that's it, everyone. Thanks, Nick. 
Hey everyone, it's Tom Krads again. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, on one of the future episodes, we will dive into the population growth numbers specifically and some of the student or non-permanent residents, uh, resident status students that come into the country and how it's affecting demand for real estate. I was recently traveling in New York and something was, uh, it was uh, somebody in New York told me on how they have some friends and how they're entering the country here in Canada that just kind of blew me away. So we'll share some of that stuff on like a population increase or demand or population trend kind of episode for the Your Life, Your Term show shortly. But in the meantime, if you want some of the actual data that's coming out from this country, we have a report called Ontario's Population Explosion, The Untold Story. You can get a copy of that report and all the other reports that we've put together at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. And listen, if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't given us a rating yet on iTunes, we would be forever grateful. If you if you think we've earned and deserved that, thank you very much. Um, if you you've done it already if you haven't and you could do so we will be forever grateful that sounds like i'm totally over promising but i guess we would be very grateful uh, for that that's it for this episode until next time your life your terms <laughs>